Praise God, you guys. Uh, Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 8. I was going to get back into the book of Revelation this Sunday. I said that last Wednesday after the service. By the way, if you missed a film we showed last Wednesday, I had so many people react to that thing, and it was called The Human Zoo. You can watch it on YouTube, especially because of what we're going through right now. It's very, very powerful. It cannot help but make your heart break and, and want to be part of the solution to the world's ills. And we have the answer, and his name is Jesus. Amen. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, I think they took it down. Did that, that ever end up on our Facebook, bro, or did Facebook take that down? It's on YouTube, though. Okay. Yeah, so they blocked it on Facebook, but hey. So uh, you want to check that out. The parable of the sower. And I thought this, I've been working on a number of things, you know, that have, you know, been in the cooker, so to speak. I've been praying about and planning on doing. And, and this is one of the things I wanted to do a two-part message on. I plan on doing one. But as I got working on it, I thought, you know, there's too much. I, I'm going to, if I do this in one setting, I'm going to have to skip some very important things I think that need to be said regarding this parable. And I just preached on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we talked about the Good Samaritan in light of all the racism and everything and all the strange things going on in the world that we live in. And I was talking to Jonathan, and he was over the house the other day. And, and by the way, him and his, his lovely wife, they just, you know, they had their third child, their little boy, and uh, they're so grateful. But they're so grateful to the fellowship because the money has come in, sufficient enough money has come in to build not only Jonathan and Stacy a house in Mexico, but to build a church building. And we're hoping to have it done this summer, despite COVID-19, amen? So uh, the restrictions that they put on us, you know? So isn't that good news? And a lot of you guys contributed to that. And there's going to be a home and a building there to minister out of the gospel because of your prayers, that's contribution, and because of any finances you gave. You're, you've helped build that thing, lasting for Jesus. Jesus talked about doing things and let our light shine, amen? He said, let your, he said, a city set on a hill could not be hidden, and nor does somebody light a lamp and then put it under a bushel or a basket, but he puts on a lampstand that everybody in the house can see. He said, therefore, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen? So you want fruit? You, you, you invest in things that lift up the name of Jesus, and I'm just saying, praise God, that, that's, that it's not accomplished in the sense that they're not built yet, but the finances are there now. Uh, the, the Blessed Hope had helped out our fellowship, obviously, to a great degree. And then people that are connected to the Blessed Hope, that's where most, a great portion of the most of the funds have come. So I want to say thank you on their behalf and, and from my own heart as well. But he said he was preaching the gospel during uh, the protests slash riots. It's not just protesting, it's a lot of rioting too, right? He was preaching the gospel and he was uh, telling me that... Uh, you know, in the midst of preaching the gospel, there was people that were saying, oh, get down, don't talk. He was talking about the Lord, Jesus, you know. And a lot of people that are protesting claim to be Christians. A lot of people in the, in the African-American community love Jesus, you know. And when he, was pro, when he was doing that, he said a lady came up to him and said, a, a younger girl said, you know what? You need to stop talking. I'm a Christian too. I'm a born-again Christian. You need to stop talking about Jesus. This is no time to talk about Jesus. And... My point is, this is the exact time to talk about Jesus. And that's why I've done the last couple of messages I did on the Good Samaritan and how he taught, Jesus taught us to love and what it means to follow him. And the, the great law is to love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, strength, and your neighbors yourself. Amen? 
So amidst all the weirdness going on and all the fear because of COVID-19 and, and all the agendas going along with that and the agendas going along with this whole, the crisis that the media is trying to ferment more and more racism, you need to keep focus on Jesus and his teachings, you know? And that's why I, f- I focused on what Wesley did. He preached Jesus. He preached the gospel. He preached loving our neighbor as ourselves. amen? And so I, I'm trying to keep you tethered to the gospel and if you're looking at this in any other way than through the lenses of Christ, if you start to look at it through the lenses of politics and everything else, and you're going to get dismayed because the answers are not in politics. The answers are in the Lord. Amen? So the answers are, you know, you know what you need to do and I need to do about this? Keep following Jesus. Keep following Jesus. Because guess what? When you follow Jesus, guess what you're going to do? You're going to obey him and you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? And you're going to be fruit-bearing. Your na- who's your neighbor? Everybody. Amen? Just stick to Jesus and keep loving him and keep loving people. And where people are hurting especially, take special notice and be especially helpful like the Samaritan was. Amen? So I just thought it was interesting. And, and, and he said, I'm not going to stop preaching Jesus, you know? And uh, he was preaching before a lot of people, you know? And, and it was a little more hostile there because that ended up being them burning some buildings or rioting, destroying some buildings. I don't know if they burned them uh, here I went out in Simi Valley. It was kind of mellow, you know, and sharing the gospel. But the timing is interesting because do you know in Israel, there's a place called Ganea, or there was a place in the, uh, Samaria, and a couple of the Jews were killed by a couple of Samaritans around 51 AD. And you know what happened, which is very fascinating, is these Jews wanted justice, so they went to the Roman leaders. And the Roman leaders, it's, so, it's such an interesting picture, the Roman leaders didn't do anything about it. They didn't like the Jews. And they didn't do anything. There was no justice. So guess what the Jews did? They went up to Canaan, and guess what they did? They destroyed the whole Samaritan village. All the Samaritans killed them. I thought, that's a lot like today. They're looking for justice. They're not getting justice. They're taking it in their own hands. They, 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 and then guess what happened? Luke's gospel, which is the only gospel that has a good Samaritan, is published right after that with the Good Samaritan message. Think about that. Think about that. I believe God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, spoke to Luke and said, this is the time because to put this gospel out, you know? And a lot of scholars placed the publishing of Luke around that time, the gospel of Luke. So I think that's very fascinating. And, what, and, I, and it was really weird because that was already message, message burned on my heart before I even knew that. I've taught the Good Samaritan before and there were some things I brought forth in that message that I think are very compelling so the answer is always Jesus and his teachings and his gospel, amen? If you just teach his moral teachings and that's all you teach, then you have just nothing more than a social gospel. People might morally know what to do, but they won't know how to, but they're not gonna have the inner strength that comes through knowing Jesus, amen? You have to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ so people know how to be saved, so the heart can be changed. Because the problem with our nation right now is people have unregenerate, they're not born again, they're unsaved, and how can you love one another and obey Jesus' teaching if you're not saved, amen? So CNN and MSNBC and Fox News and all these guys, they're not gonna talk people into behaving right. In fact, if you look around, people are behaving all wrong. A lot of people, amen? And you know what? We know the whole world won't be saved. We just need to be faithful to Jesus' teaching. So praise God for the Good Samaritan story. Now we're looking at the parable of the sower. And I like to call it the parable of the four soils. It's great to call it the parable of the sower because it's about a, a farmer who goes out and sows his seed. Luke doesn't identify the farmer. 
We do see in the other gospel accounts he's identified that Jesus said the sower of the seed is the son of man. And ultimately every story is about Jesus because he reigns, amen? But Jesus specifically points out and emphasizes the four soils here and how each soil responds to the seed of his word. And each one of us is represented by one of these four soils we're going to be looking at. And it gets so deep at certain points, I was like, there's no way I could do this justice one service. I can, but it's not gonna be, I'm gonna leave a lot of meat on the bone. And after the service, I had different people coming up afterwards that were, one gal, she's, I've been in church for years and years, oh, 50 years or whatever. She's like, she didn't say that, but she said, I've been, and I've never didn't, I always struggle with that. What's that verse mean? And you gotta have the answer. And so you're gonna learn some things hopefully today too that'll, that'll help out a lot regarding certain scriptures you run into in the gospels. You'll be like, every time you'll see it, you'll be like, praise the Lord. Instead of like, why did Jesus say that? You know? And uh, Jesus is perfect, but sometimes you gotta put scripture to scripture to understand what he's saying. So Luke chapter eight, verse four, the parable of the four soils. When a large crowd was coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. So keep in mind here, it's not just his apostles, not just his disciples. It's a large crowd, people from various cities. But he speaks to them where, way, by way of a, a paraboles. Parable. Paraboles in the Greek is simply a story, true to life story, that has lessons in it, whereby you are to look at that story, at least from Jesus' teachings, his parables are meant to teach life lessons. That you're supposed to draw a line from your, the parable to yourself and say, hmm, how does this relate to me and the kingdom of God and how I relate to God? And it's important that we understand that he wants us to learn from this. Although, guess what? There are certain people that won't learn from it and they won't understand. That's where some of the perplexing stuff comes in because it sounds like it's his will that they don't understand until you understand what he understands. And what he's saying, it's quite beautiful actually. Luke chapter eight, verse five, the sower went out to sow his seed. We'll learn later when Jesus explains this and we're not gonna get into his explanation of the parable in this service. I'll, I'll touch on it a few times, but the seed is the word of God. The sower went out to sow his seed and as he sowed, some fell beside the road and it was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air ate it up. So, there's four soils. The first soil is soil that's beside the road. So roadside soil is going to get a little bit more trampled on, right? It's not going to be as dug up. And in the ancient Ain communities, ancient Near Eastern communities and Israel, uh, they didn't have the type of equipment we have to plow and so forth. They would have the guy with the plow and they'd hold his, he'd have a, a prick, you know, and he'd goad the animals and he'd have his hand on the plow and he'd put all this pressure on it. He'd try to hold that thing straight. But when they sowed seed, they didn't just specifically uniformly put, you know, put all the seed in one row. They'd throw it around, you know, through the whole plowed field. And some would land by the roadside and the roadside would get more traffic than the rest of the land because the roadsides were these little strips actually between the farms where the laborers and the farmers and so forth would work and they're constantly stepping on it. So what kind of ground is that? Really, really hard ground. Not the best, not very good for irrigated land, not, uh, not very good for seeds penetrating the land. So this soil is hard. And what happens with hard soil? 
when you put, you know, I planted some seeds about a month ago uh, in my backyard because my son has been deciding to have a lot of, you know, his friends over, whoever, you know, believers and Chad having the, the, the youth over and so forth and uh, play volleyball on that, on that grass and stuff. And I'm just kidding, Chad. I love it, man. Would have, I'd rather have dirt than no grass or than grass and no people. But I thought, man, there's a lot of rain coming up. I'll throw some seed out there and stuff. And I raked a little bit of it up. Some of that ground was really hard. It never penetrated into the sides, you know. And then I watered it so good and the ground, grass became so green in that backyard, some gophers moved in. I've just tore it all up. I'm like, and it's getting hotter. Our water's not working as well, so it's drying out a little bit back there. But that hard ground, it's hard for the seeds to penetrate. And what does it say? Jesus says the birds come by. The birds came by and ate the seed. So this first soil, which we're not going to talk about what the meaning of each of the soils so much. That's next week. But it's the hard ground. It's the ground that's not fallow ground. It's the ground that's, well, the fallow ground that needs to be broken up. So it ceases to be just hard ground and fallow ground. And not very good. So that's the first soil. And that soil, of course, will represent some of the hard heart. You know, and the seed of God's word doesn't penetrate their hearts. So that's the first soil. Now, it's interesting because we go to verse 6. Other seed fell on rocky soil. And as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. So this seed actually is received by the soil, that heart, heart that actually receives God's word, you know. But there's not a lot of depth. There's a bunch of rocks. And when you have rocky soil, if you're in Israel, some of you have been to the, how many have you been to Israel with us? Or been to Israel at all? A number of you guys. Uh, we've had, I don't know, maybe five trips there. One I went on an evangelistic tour. Uh, spoke at like five churches. I went to Calvary Chapel years ago. That was the first time I went. And so I don't think anybody really went with me then, that, that time. But anyway, uh, four other times I think we've gone. And when you look at the land, it's like just amazing. And there's, it's so beautiful. It's so built up now. But there's rocks. In certain areas, there's just rocks jettisoning out of the sides of mountains or hillsides and just everywhere. And it's not really easy to just, in those days specifically, to go to a plot of land and just plant seeds because there's so many rocks. Remember, Jesus is in the wilderness and Satan tempts him by saying, turn these stones into bread. Plenty of stones for the devil to work with, okay, in Israel. So you had to be careful because sometimes you just, your land has a lot of rocks and you plant in the rocks because you want to get as much harvest out of this land as you can. And guess what? You got to compete with those rocks and there's not a lot of moisture because they take up a lot of the, the room. And it wasn't just the rocks that would just be, you know, a bunch of rocks scattered. A lot of the land of Israel, certain parts of it, have a thin layer of rock. We have just a couple inches of soil on top. So you might have a, a piece of land where a lot of it's a, a rock shelf with a little bit of soil. And then guess what you do? You throw those seeds on the, the soil, and they spring up real quick because guess what? There's a little bit of water or what have you, then there's there, just a little bit of depth so it gets hot quick. They germinate, they, they grow up, and then guess what happens though? As it gets hotter and hotter, there's not a lot of moisture, then they bake and those plants die. And that's the second soil that Jesus speaks of, okay? Then we see verse seven. Other seed fell, that's the third soil. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up, and with it, it and it choked it out. So the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. So this is thorny soil. It's not hard, 
soil. It's not shallow, rocky soil. It's thorny soil where you get a lot of weeds. And how many of you have planted gardens? How many don't like weeds in your garden? I think the same hands went up, right? I think we've all experienced that. Uh, weeds could be there because of seeds that came in, were blown in, along with your seeds that you plant or the farmer plants, or weeds that were there that were not pulled out all the way by the root, you know? The Bible uses the picture of a garden over and over and over again in Scripture. Some, like in the Song of Solomon, the relationship between him and his Shulamite Gentile bride, picture Christ in the church, is like a garden, but we have to keep the weeds out. And it's interesting because I remember when I first and only time I planted a garden, because I took up like half my backyard, not really, but I was like, I got big eyes, you know? Oh man, I gotta make a big garden, plant all these plants, and I'm like, I'm seeing all these plants coming up, I'm like, this is awesome. And I'm like, I'm one guy, kids were all little, the ones that were alive at that point. And I'm like, my wife has her own work to do. So uh, I'm like, you know what? Uh, I can't keep up with all these weeds, what did I do, you know? And, and on top of that, I had one watermelon. I was like, thankful. I had tomatoes, a lot of things just grow, right? You're just thankful. But I had one watermelon. I was like, only one watermelon came up, but I'm so, oh, praise God. I come out there one day, and some worm, big caterpillar, ate all the way through the stem. He could have burrowed in the watermelon. I'd give him a little of that. Okay, go and then leave. You have some of my watermelon. He just killed my watermelon, man. Just choked it off, you know? That was a bummer. So I'm like, hmm. I felt like Jonah when he was under that plant. I didn't want to get upset, you know? And that guy, that worm ate his gourd. I'm like, how did that guy eat that whole deal? So anyway, sometimes you're like, you're, when you're, weeds are terrible, but weeds can choke out good plants. That's why you got to get rid of them or make them less fruitful, even kill them. And the funny thing about weeds is they seem to grow a lot more than the plants. They're a lot easier. They grow a lot bigger, right? You ever notice that? I'm like, how come these weeds just go, and I'm trying to nurse these plants along, you know? You just got to yank them out by the roots. But all these things are pictures of us in our hearts. You could have a heart, a heart that's hard. You could have a heart that's stony and shallow. You could have a heart that allows weeds in it to choke out God's word. Or you could be like the fourth soil. Verse 8, uh, just the first part of verse 8. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up. And produced a crop a hundred times as great. Wow. That's the kind of soil you want to be. You want to make sure your life is fruitful for the Lord. If you live for yourself, you won't be fruitful. Jesus said, apart from me, and he's talking about bearing fruit in that context. He said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Talking about grapevines in that instance. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Right? He that abides in me will bear much fruit. Is your life fruitful? If you're a truly a born-again believer, a newborn, regenerated believer, trusting Jesus, you'll be fruitful in your life. The Bible says of believers, old things have passed away, behold, all things become new. If anyone is in Christ, it says he's a new creation, amen? Old things have passed away, all things become new. That means the day that you decided to truly follow the Lord Jesus Christ, since that time, you don't look the same as you did before spiritually, inwardly as before you were a believer, amen? And there's gonna be fruit in your life. The way you talk, the things you say, how you treat other people, amen? Just the, 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 the songs from our lips when we praise God is considered the fruit of our lips, you know? 
There's a lot of different fruit. Giving someone a glass of water in Jesus' name is fruitful, is a, is a, a wonderful thing. Just the things we do. You should be different, okay? Can you say in your life that you're fruitful because you're attached to Jesus, that you're in Christ? Because that's the fourth soil. The fourth soil is fruitful. And when Jesus gives this parable, he says even more, 30, 60, 100-fold, different degrees of fruitfulness. But every true believer will have some kind of fruitfulness. The Bible says faith without works is dead. Amen? So, and Jesus called it, uh, or James calls it a uh, demonic faith. He compares someone who says they have faith but has no fruit to the faith of demons. He says the demons believe and tremble. The point is they're not saved. Just because you believe, and you might even tremble at the, the concept of God, but you're not saved if you're not bearing fruit. There's no, got to be evidence in your life. Right? John the Baptist said, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. Amen? So true believers have fruit. Now, it's interesting because there's a lot to be said about this, uh, this particular verse. And when we go through the four soils next week, we're going to actually go into the explanations. But I want to cover verses 8 through 10. And this was what I was going to do. I was thinking of skipping, you know, Nine, verses 9 and 10. But then if I skipped it, I knew there would be a lot of people that leave saying, why did he skip those two verses? Because then after those two verses, Jesus gets into the explanation of the parable, right? And I thought there's actually some really beautiful truth there, even though it's a very disturbing couple verses for a lot of people. When you understand them in their context, they make some, they, they, they're just awesome. They, they, they reveal God's plan. And I love that about the difficult scriptures. Why? Because those scriptures that are considered the most difficult often shed the most light when you study them through. That's why we always say, never throw away what you do understand because of what you don't understand when you study. Amen? You'll come across verses and be like, hmm, what's going on there? Or how could, how could God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son? That's, why would he do that? He's against human sacrifice. And then you start studying and you start to grow in your understanding of typology. And most Christians don't even know what the word typology means, most professing Christians. But you start studying typology and you realize, wow, Abraham is a picture of the father. Isaac, his only son, he says, take your son, your only son whom you love, is a picture of Jesus. He takes him up Mount Moriah and he's testing him. Yes, that's on the practical basis, but he's also drawn a picture of the gospel, which Paul says was preached at first to Abraham. And Jesus said, Abraham longed to see my day and saw it and was glad. And in Hebrews chapter 11, the author of Hebrews says that Abraham received Isaac back as a type of the resurrection. He's a full-blown picture of Jesus. Same mountaintop, Mount Moriah. That's where Jesus was crucified. 2,000 years later, it's the first passion play, right? The Jews have Every so many years, they have the passion play because a plague went through Germany and one particular village said, Lord God, save us from this plague and we'll do something to remember you for the rest of eternity as long as we can. And guess what? The plague did not touch them. And they've been doing a passion play ever since where you got the lawyers and the doctors and the taxi drivers and you know, computer analysts. Everybody gets together and they reenact and they have this big choir and the whole you know, uh, passion of Christ. It's quite the deal. And when we were in Germany, we tried to go there, but... It, just didn't work out way too much. They charge way too much, you know. But anyway, uh, but you know what? That, that passion play they do in Germany, which I've read about, it's pretty gnarly. Nothing compared to the first passion play. 2,000 years before Christ died, God had the passion play with Abraham and Isaac. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. First time you see love in the Old Testament is right there. First time you see love in the New Testament is when God says, this is my son whom I love. And he's the only begotten son of God, right? And he takes him up on a three-day, three-night journey. Takes wood on his back. There's Isaac. Up the hill with the wood, same place Jesus would take his cross. 
Okay, so these things that are like, how could God, and I was a new Christian, I was like, I didn't say, how could God, like I was upset with God. Like, I was like, God, Lord, I don't understand what's going on with Abraham and Isaac here, but I want to know, you know? And I put those things on hooks. Okay, Lord, show me, either now or in eternity, but that's what I'd love to know now. Then that became my favorite passage in the entire Bible, you know? That typology, and there's so much more to it. In fact, I don't even think I mentioned it in the first service, but it just popped in my mind. It's a good illustration of those things that are hard to understand that we understand them, they're better. So I was just going to skip maybe verses 9 and 10 or just read them and have a quick explanation. I thought, you know what? The explanation is actually really, really powerful, and I don't want people to leave here not understanding it. So we'll do two parts because the explanation relates to the rest of the parable in a very, very profound way when you understand it. Because these four soils represent four hearts. And each soil represents a receptivity or lack thereof to the word of God and how we hear the word of God. Jesus said to the seven churches, he that has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. And some of the warnings there had to do with salvific warnings. To be serious, make sure you're born again, make sure you know Jesus, make sure you're following him, you know. And five of the seven churches told to repent. Well, Jesus says at the end of chapter, well, let's read verse eight again. Let's read it all the way to the end now. Other seed fell on the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him what? Hear. Isn't that interesting? Because the four soils, it's all about how they hear. How they receive God's word. How they relate to God's word. Not, hearing isn't just talking about the ears. He's talking about the understanding. He's talking about the hearts, the condition of the hearts. And I just think it's interesting. It's as he's saying these things, as he's talking about the different soils, it's as though he's continually saying, so it may be that there's three or four times as he's giving this parable, he says, he that has an ear, let him hear. Tell us a little bit more. He that has an ear, let him hear. Listen, because you're one of these four soils. And only one of the four soils is fruitful in the end, Right? You want to make, what soil do you want to make sure you are? Which one? Oh, okay. amen. Amen. You want to be the fourth soil. You want to be the fourth soil. So there's a lot of irony here because he that has near, let him hear. But these four soils, it's all about how they hear. And be careful how you hear. You know, Jesus will say, let these words sink deep into your heart. I think that's how the NSB translates one verse I'm thinking of. And the NIV says, listen very carefully. It translates that verse, listen very carefully from Jesus. Because the NIV is more thought for thought than word for word. NSB is more word for word. And I appreciate the NIV at times. It can be very, very helpful. But I like to see for myself what the word for word translation would be. Then extrapolate it means listen very carefully because I kind of like let what Jesus said let these words sink deep into your heart that's how he wants us to hear his word so do you can you see yourself one who lets his word sink deeply into your heart by way of application now think about it or when you come to yourself I, I come because someone else brings me and your the words when you preach Jesus the words just kind of bounce off my heart you know or you're like, no, no, I accept a little bit of the word, but you're more of a shallow person. You accept it a little bit, but you don't want to really, you know, be serious about following Jesus. The shallow ground, you know, or the, the ground with, on the rock ledge. Luke, did I offend you, bro? Oh, I'm just kidding, buddy. I love you, man. If he was shallow, I wouldn't have said that. Uh, or the third, the third soil. You know, the, you know the, 
you know, you're like, yeah, I like it. I love his word, man. But I'm going through a bunch of things right now, man. And, you know, there's this, the girl at the office, you know, she's giving me a lot of attention and I'm struggling with this temptation. Love God more than the girl at the office. Amen. Put the Lord Jesus Christ before any, uh, anybody else. Because what it really comes down to here is who you're going to love first and most. There's not a whole lot of mystery. People say there's a lot of mystery as to free choice. There's not a lot of mystery. I mean, there's mystery. The mystery is how God puts it all together, right? That's like, whoa. He's so, so infinitely wise and his providence, his sovereignty, how he does it all is amazing. But because it's like herding cats, right? And he even paints these pictures of typology by using people that have choices that they're accountable for. That's heavy. But as far as what we make choices over, we choose what we love most. That simple. The choices that you make through life are the things you choose in regard to what you love most. That's what the Bible teaches. So the Bible says to love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. The Bible says to love God and to hate evil. Amen? So we love, we choose what we love most. Now, we can get a little deeper on that. Can you make a choice in regard to something that you love so much, even though you don't love what you're choosing as much? The way I see it is, you might have this overwhelming desire to sin, and you might choose to follow God and deny yourself and not get any gratification out of it initially, but by making the decision to love God and make the right choice, even though you don't sense a big, robust amount of gratification initially, you're still loving his will more than that. Because you see, and you've done some, at least deep enough thinking to say, this outweighs that. Like Moses said, that he, you know, he suffered the reproach of Christ. Even though he could have stuck with Egypt, and he could have stayed with Pharaoh, and, but he, he, he put the reproach of Christ above his position in Egypt. Being at the palace, he chose Christ. He saw him who was invisible. So we have to make a bunch of choices in life. I want to encourage you to put God's word first, to put Christ first and his word. The Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, amen? And here you are today, amen? Or you're listening by way of podcast. And there's gonna be some really cool things you're gonna learn in this message, I think, that are gonna really, like, hopefully some wow moments that'll really encourage you. But basically, on a practical level, are you treasuring the word of Christ in your heart? You're here today, and if you're here because if you're here because you were dragged here and the word's bouncing off you right now, well, Lord, help you. Help become like the fourth soil. Be one of those who hears his word and holds to it and retains it and bears. Those are the ones who bear fruit. Because his fruit is his word is powerful, right? How sharp is it? Sharper than what? Any two edged sword, amen. Dividing what? Bone and marrow, soul and spirit. It works effectually in the hearts of those who believe. So if God's word abides in you, it's going to work powerfully in your heart and your life. You may not even see the growth the next day, right? I remember, because I haven't planted grass seed in years and years and years and years. And I'd go out there every day, water more, waiting for it to sprout up. And I just thought, it's not going to come up. And it never did on the hard ground, just a few weeks back. But then it started coming up all over the place and the grass got thick again. You got to be patient. The, the Bible talks about how the farmer in James 5 waits for the early and the latter rains, but he's patient. And we have to be patient, it says, also for the coming of the Lord, amen? So we need to be patient in our own lives. Lord's patient with us, amen? You need to be patient with God working in you and continue to just keep your hand to the plow. Now, it's interesting because he says here, he would call out. So he's constantly calling, he's calling out over and over again. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he wants them to hear. Understand this much. 
at this point. He does indeed want them to hear. Amen? Now, it gets, it gets very interesting in verses 9 and 10. Look at this. Verses 9 and 10. Let's read them. His disciples began questioning him uh, to what this parable meant. And he said, this is very interesting. He says, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest, it is what? In parables. So that seeing, they may not see, and hearing, they may not understand. Isn't that interesting? What is going on there? And a lot of people have tripped up over these verses. Wait, he's saying, he that has an ear to hear, hear. He wants him to hear, it sounds like. But then he says, it's been given to you, the disciples, to understand these truths. But, he says, but to the rest, it is in parables. Then he tells us why it's in parables. So that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Think about that. Now, a lot of times we think Jesus teaches in parables. So everybody will understand, so he gives them an object lesson. He gives them a great great word picture so they can just relate to it in their agrarian culture with the farming and so forth or whatever he's talking about. And that's why he uses parable because he wants them to understand. He wants to be, you know, put the cookies down on the the table where everybody can get them and so forth. Not always so. Right here, it specifically states that he was teaching them in parables. So, (laughs) so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. How in the world does that fit that God wills that all would be saved and come to knowledge of truth? See what I'm saying? And we have to go through these verses, and I can be, and I'm not like this. I, ca- I cannot look at a verse like that and leave meat on the bone or leave thinking people are going to misunderstand who God, our God is. Because a lot of people take those verses and they say, see, this is God predestining the disciples to salvation, but he wants the other people to be damned. He doesn't want them to understand the gospel. He wants them to go to hell, and that's what that means. A lot of people teach that. What does, what's really being said here? And when you understand what's being said here, your heart's going to jump. You're going to fall in love with the Lord and his plan more. And you're going to see it doesn't, it doesn't mean that at all, what, I just, what, what our Calvinistic friends say. And since when we're talking about salvation, we're constantly talking about the plan of salvation, we have to constantly understand it in the culture in which we speak because there's a lot of voices that come in and say, this is what this means, this is what. Well, what does it mean, okay? What does this mean? By the way, this is the verse that I came across, you know, and I, and I spent some time on, and we're going to spend a little time on a lot of other verses that are going to bring light to this verse, where I got the feedback, like, one sister's like, man, I've been for years, and I've never understood this verse, and I was always, like, tripped up, like, why did you say that? Now it makes perfect sense, you know. Indeed it does, or it will. It's very beautiful. Uh, now, and it's interesting, too. The reason we go deep in the Word, guys, here, what Jonathan and I had at my house, we barbecued a lunch for him and a couple of his boys. Stacy just had their third child, so she wasn't able to make it. And we had just a great time fellowshipping with him. And uh, great time. And he was like, man, I was out there sharing. He goes, I was out there sharing with a bunch of your young people, you know. Because Jonathan's pastoring there, Blessed Hope, over in Mexico now. And he, and he just rejoiced. He went around rejoicing for like five minutes. He goes, I can't believe the, you know, he's talking about different young people here. Different guys that have born here, guys that are uh, born again here through the message that's been shared. He's like, he goes, uh, there's such, he goes, Jonathan's been in a lot of churches. He goes, it's hard to find that. He goes, I don't, you don't see that. He was just excited because you got you young people that were preaching the gospel on the streets in the midst of all this stuff going on. You know, Jonathan was real excited to see that. And we're excited that you're doing that, you know. 
But that's because that's a fruit of you being in God's word. He goes, man, I'm hearing sh- different people mentioned like Nathan sharing and the word of God's just pouring out of his heart. Just pouring, it was so awesome, you know, uh, on the streets, you know, and it's, it's awesome. God wants us to be filled with his word. He wants us to understand his word so we can have confidence in his word, amen? Okay, and we want to see that kind of fruit in our fellowship. Now, it's interesting. What in the world's going on here? I believe this is one of the verses that falls in the category, and there's others that I'll share with you as well, as what you can call in theology the messianic secret, okay? The messianic secret, the secret of the Messiah. What does that mean? By the time I'm done, you're going to say, you're going to know exactly what that means, and you're going to say, it makes perfect sense. So think about this, okay? What's going on here? Is Jesus, did Jesus blind them from seeing the truth with the parable and just want them to be blind? Were they people that you think were like, I really want to follow God. I want to be right with the Messiah when he comes. I want to follow him. And then he goes, nope, sorry, you're not one of the elect. Zap. Or you're dead in your sins. You don't want anything to do with Messiah anyway, but zap. It's because I predestined you from before the world existed and wanted you to be damned. Is that what's happening? That's not what's happening either. You know, what's happening here is these are folks who, you know when it says God hearted Pharaoh's heart? Do you guys know how God hearted Pharaoh's heart? Do you think God was unjust and just decided to create Pharaoh and just make him a wicked man and make him a hard-hearted guy? No. When you read about Pharaoh's heart being hardened, who do you see, if you can remember, who do you see hardening his heart first? Pharaoh. Amen. You go through the first few occasions, he hardened his heart. Why does Pharaoh harden his heart? Now, Moses is the humblest guy on earth, okay? Pharaoh's like one of the proudest guys on earth. He wants to be known as Ra. He wants to be the ki- he, God. And now God's coming through Moses to reveal who the one true God is, amen? Now God loves the Egyptians, okay? We talk about that all the time. He loves all people, amen? In fact, over and over again, it's stated that the reason God did miracles through Moses to show his hand over the Egyptian gods was so that the Egyptians would know that he's the one true God. Understand? It wasn't like, oh, God loved the Israelites. He wanted to damn all the Egyptians. No, he wants to reveal who he is. So uh, that's why I've shown you before a lot of those miracles that take place are specifically directed against Egyptian gods and what the Egyptians worshipped or associated with what they worshipped. Okay? Very, very interesting. And Pharaoh did not want to let the Jews go because he liked the free slave labor. Got a lot of, free, got a lot of things out of it. Didn't want to let them go. Let my people go. How did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Did he mysteriously get in his heart and say, I'm going to make you a wicked man. You have no choice. No. What did he do? He did signs and wonders, right, through Moses to show that he's the one true God. And because Pharaoh was evil, how did he respond to that? He got upset. He got ticked off. Not because God was saying, I'm going to make you evil. Because he was evil and his heart got harder and harder the more the the true God revealed himself to him because he wanted nothing to do with the true God. Do you understand that? His heart became harder. He shut his ears. He shut his eyes. And God Hard in his heart, not in a mysterious way, but by simply revealing who he was and saying, let my people go to an obstinate, wicked king, who Pharaoh, who didn't want to let him go. Do you understand that? It's very simple to understand, actually. But you know what? When it comes to these folks here, he gives them parables, so seeing they will not see or perceive, hearing they will not hear, guess who really shut their eyes and who shut their ears and dulled their hearts? Go to Matthew chapter 13. Where Isaiah, this is a quotation from Isaiah, by the way, guys. It's a quotation from Isaiah. 
Isaiah chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. And this is what's being fulfilled. Listen, watch carefully, verse 14. You will keep on hearing, but will not what? Not understand. You will keep on seeing, but what? Not perceive. Verse 15, for the heart of this people has what? Has what? Become calloused or become dull. It wasn't like God created them with a hard heart. They became hard. They became dull. You can see a little kid being blessed, happy, joyful kid. And then as that kid gets old, that kid can harden their heart, become a very bitter person. But look at verse 15, guys. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear. Now watch this. And they have what? And they have what? Closed. They have closed their eyes. Who closed their eyes? Did it say God closed their eyes or they closed their eyes? They closed their eyes. It was the decision they made. Okay. Otherwise, they would what? See with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return. And I would heal them. But then look what he says. Verse 16 is important. But blessed are your eyes. Blessed are your eyes because you see and your ears because they hear. In other words, you did not close your eyes. You did not close your ears. These are free choices. of li There's libertarian free will here. They're making choices one way or another to accept or reject God's grace. Now go to Isaiah, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. Just a couple books to your right. Acts chapter 28, verse 25. And here we see Paul giving some parting words. Uh, this is the last thing that Paul actually teaches. It's kind of interesting. And he says, The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers. By the way, these are all quotations from Isaiah. In the parable of Sower, Luke 8, Matthew 13, and right here in Acts chapter 28. Saying, verse 26, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. Why? Verse 27, for the heart of this people has what? Become dull. And with their ears, they what? Scarcely hear. And they have what? They have what? They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and I would heal them. So what in the world's going on here? <laughs> What's going on here is Isaiah the prophet, God was pronouncing woe upon woe to those in Isaiah's day. Remember all those woes, you know? Woe to those who, you know, get up in the morning and get drunk, you know? Woe to those who have their parties and all their music, but don't mention me. It's all about them, right? Woe to those who take other people's land. Whoa, 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 whoa. And then, you know, the king dies and Isaiah's a little shaken. He sees a vision of the king of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the gospel of John, we notice he's seeing Jesus high and lifted up. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, because it says when Isaiah saw Jesus' glory. That's a heavy one for the JW, by the way, because Jesus is called Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty there in Isaiah chapter 5. And then Isaiah sees him with the train of his temple filling up the, the glory of heaven and the smoke just, and, he just like, and he's like, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm in trouble. Whew. I'm in big trouble, right? But then God puts a coal on his, his tongue. Thank God. Mercy. Symbol of cleansing, right? Who will, who will I send? You know, send me, right? And then guess what? Isaiah is told to give this message. Hearing they won't hear. Seeing they won't see. Why? Because the prophets were telling them that if they keep worshiping those idols and keep rejecting God, that they're going to become like those idols. 
follow this, guys. It's deep. What were the idols like? The idols had ears, but they couldn't what? Hear. They had eyes, but they couldn't what? See. And if you keep worshiping these idols, you're going to be getting over to this depraved mind, and you're going to have hearers, but you're not going to hear. You're going to see. You're going to have eyes, can't see. Ears, you can't hear. The people became dull. That was their choices. And this, this passage is extrapolated into the end times. You see, not end times, I'm sorry, into Jesus' time. Fast forward a few hundred years, and the Jews still have these hardened hearts. Many of them, okay? And guess what? They were the ones that chose to close them. In Isaiah's day, they closed their eyes and they went into captivity because they rejected God's word. In Jesus' day, as they reject Jesus, what's going to happen? Roman legions will come in 70 AD under Titus and the nation will be destroyed and they'll be dragged throughout the different nations into this war for 2,000 years almost. Same thing, kind of interesting because history can repeat itself at times. But bottom line, are you, are you following this so far? Who hardened whose hearts, guys? Who closed whose eyes? Right. But guess what? You could say that God hardened Pharaoh's heart too, right? Because he did in a way because he brought judgments upon him. It's not because God's bad. It's, think of the sun. I love this illustration. The sun is a hot summer day. And we're heading to some of them, right? We've already had a couple. We're gonna, or it's going to get hotter when summer really hits. You put, you put clay. Let's say it's 107 degrees out. You put clay out there, right? And you put... Play-Doh out there. Let's you put clay out there. What's going to happen to the clay? It's going to get wet. But, but then you put wax next to the clay. What's going to happen to the wax? It's going to melt. Amen. The same sun rains. The, he brings sun on the just and the unjust. He rain causes rain to rain on the just and the unjust. It, he's the same God. He's not partial. But like the four soils, I'm just using the clay and the wax as examples. It's how you respond. But because now follow this. Follow this. It's not that hard to understand. Think about this. Why did he reveal these truths to the disciples and not these others? Because they closed their eyes. They closed their ears. Jesus taught, he that wills to do the will of God will know the truth or doctrine. John 7, 17. He's talking about when they're questioning who he is. He says, he wills to do the will of the Father will know the doctrine. What were the disciples doing? When he told this parable, who is it that went further and said, and had ears to hear? Who is it that went to him and said, explain to us the meaning? You guys remember who it was? Who was it? Back up verse 8. Who was it? Who's the one who said, tell us more? Who want to understand the meaning of the parable? I think it's verse 8, right? I'm sorry. Verse uh, 10, or verse 9, I'm sorry. His disciples, his disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. Are you with me? They had ears to hear. Like when six, John 666, six, six, many of his disciples follow him no longer. Jesus, what did Peter say to him? Jesus says to Peter, will you two go away? He says, where will I go, Jesus? You have the words of eternal life. Okay, it's not about aptitude. It's about heart. He wanted Jesus. Even though Jesus gave a hard saying, he was willing to try to understand the hard saying. Amen? And not throw away the baby with what he thought might, or they thought was bathwater. It wasn't bathwater. There was no bathwater involved. It's the word of God. So here, he's telling them a parable because at this point in his ministry, many had already rejected him. They didn't want the light that they were offered. So then he says, he starts speaking to them in parables. 
because their eyes are closed. Their hearts are hard. Their ears are dull. But there's something deeper going on, something far deeper than we've even talked about yet. But are you with me so far? Okay, 100%. It makes sense. makes a lot of sense. So the disciples were the babes. He says he's hidden these things from the wise and revealed these truths to the babes. Jesus said to be like, to, to enter the kingdom of God, you must be like a little what? A child. Why? Because a child will humbly learn, right? Those who know it all. Yeah, well, I don't need Jesus. I got all the money in the world. I have all the knowledge I need and so forth. I don't want him to cramp my style. But those who thirst and hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll pursue Jesus. Jesus said in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the what? Poor in spirit. Amen? Blessed are the what? Poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Kingdom of God. So he wants us to come humble. God gives grace to the humble, we resist the proud. So context here, he that has an ear, let him hear. He keeps saying that. Boom. Then guess what? The disciples, after, the, the crowd was like, okay. And who knows, some of them, I'm not saying they weren't saved. Some of them got saved, probably we'll see. That follow this message all the way through. But then guess what happens? His disciples are the ones that come up and say, tell us more. We want to understand. They're the ones that have the ears to hear. Do you ever see people come to Jesus, coming to Jesus and him rejecting them through the Gospels? Yes or no? No. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast away. Oh, he shuts the door when it's too late at the second coming on some people who only want him because of worldly sorrow, not godly sorrow at that point. So, What's going on here? Go to John 12. John 12, verse 34 and 36. The crowd then answered him, we have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? He's talking about his crucifixion, right? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, he's talking to non-believers here, keep this in mind, for a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light. A little while longer, the light's among you. It's going to be here for a little while. Walk where you have the light. So the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, listen to this. Verse 36 is key. While you have the light, what? Believe in the light so that you may what? Become sons of light. So when he's saying things just straight out, he's the light of the world, I'm the light of the world. He that follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Explain who he is and so forth. And then he's saying, the light's with you. It'll be with you a little while. Walk in the light. While you have the light, believe in the light so you can become what? Children of the light. He wants them to become children of God. Is that real clear? He wants these non-believers to follow him and know him and become children of God. But when they rejected the light over and over again as to who he was, then he began to speak in parables. And that's related to this theological term I used with you called the messianic secret. The disciples, though, want to know the truth. Now, the Jews have a veil over their hearts at this point. They're non-believing Jews. Of course, there's believing Jews. There's always a remnant, right? But there's a lot of non-believing Jews that are going to be yelling eventually, crucify him. There's a veil over their hearts. They don't understand. Some of the Jewish leaders don't understand. Some of the Jewish leaders know who he is. They want not, but they, like the, vine, the parable of the vineyard, right? They just want to take the inheritance, right? But Look, the average Jew just does, they're misunderstanding understand who he is. They're looking not for a suffering servant. They're looking for a conquering king. They're not looking for Isaiah 53. They're looking for the, you know, Isaiah 52 without 53 coming. Now, look, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Because there's a veil over the eyes of the Jewish person in Jesus' day and today. 
In fact, this actually is commentary that fits today as well. Verse 14, Paul says, but their minds, the Jewish mind, were what? Hardened. They weren't born hard. People are born, uh, like Paul said, before he, was, before he died spiritually, he was alive. Until the, till the, the commandment came, he became aware of the commandment, he realized he was a sinner, then he died. So that's why we believe little babies go to heaven. Paul says there was a time when I was alive, but then the law came and it slew me. Well, their minds were what? Hardened. Their minds were hardened for until this very day, for at, to, at this very day, until this very day, the reading of the old covenant, the same what? Veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. Verse 15. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. So even today in our day, when the Jews go to synagogue and they, they read uh, the, the law to them and so forth, there's a veil over their eyes. And when they get, when you go to the Jewish synagogue, if you go to the Jewish synagogue and they're going through the book of Isaiah and you get to chapter 52 and chapter 53 about the suffering servant, guess what they'll do? They'll just skip it. We've talked about that before. There's a veil over their eyes. Look at verse 16 though. But whenever a person, what? Turns to the Lord, the veil is what? Taken away. What happens first? The veil being taken away or turning to the Lord? Turning to the Lord happens first. It's not like you're born again and then, you know, then you understand or the veil is removed then. You have to turn to the Lord. You have to be willing to repent. These folks were not willing to repent and turn to the Lord. Do you see that? They weren't really willing to repent and turn to the Lord, so the veil was over their eyes. They wanted to do their own thing. Remember Jesus gave that parable of the wedding feast? Go invite, you know, his people, right? And they, oh, I'm busy. I want to do this. So they're filled with their own ways. The Bible says the backslider is filled with all his own ways. Now, now, check this out. It gets a little deeper. Come on, put on your spiritual thinking cap, so to speak. Trust in the Lord and seek his word and pray, Holy Spirit, give me wisdom. Because guess what else Jesus was saying? It happens more and more as he gets closer to his crucifixion. Guess what he starts telling people? Listen to this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 10. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Catch that? He's telling, he's warning his disciples, don't tell anybody I'm the Christ. What in the world's going on there? We're supposed to preach Jesus. How come he's telling them, you know, don't tell anybody I'm the Christ? Mark chapter 8, verse 30. Mark's a short gospel. Keep it on 16 chapters, halfway through. And this is not long before the crucifixion. Jesus warned them not to tell anybody about him. What's going on there? Mark chapter 9, verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. What in the world is going on there? Don't tell anybody what he said until he's risen from the dead. Why? What in the world's going on there? Notice he didn't say, never show who I am again. He's saying until a certain point. There's a temporary thing going on right now where the parables are being taught, okay? That would, it's called a judicial hardening. It's a hardening that they chose, but God acts in such a way that they're gonna become harder because he's gonna continue. He's not gonna share the greater light with them at this point because they won't receive the, the early light until a certain point. Until when? The resurrection. Until after the resurrection. Why? Why would Jesus do this? Okay, this is very important. He taught them in parables and he told his disciples not to publish who he was toward the end of his ministry. Why? Because if everybody knew, because something, well, why did he just do even greater miracles? Or why did he just make himself appear in everybody's home at once and say, I'm the Messiah? Why not? Guess what? 
if he wouldn't have taught in parables, and if he didn't brought, tell his disciples, don't proclaim everything that I'm saying at this point, that I'm the Messiah, he would never have been crucified. He would never have been able to die for our sins the way it was prophesied. That's the messianic secret. How do we know that? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age. I'm sorry, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Watch this hidden wisdom. Watch this amazing wisdom that God had planned for, for before creation. Verse 8, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood... It, they would have what? They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See that? Isn't that heavy? Think about that. So in other words, guess what? Did Pontius Pilate know who Jesus was? Yes or no? No, he was betwixt. He was like torn. His wife's saying, don't touch him. He's innocent. She has a dream. God's revealing to him that he's innocent. Okay? And Jesus answers him, but he doesn't say much, does he? Isn't that interesting? When you look at it, it's like Jesus is holding back certain things. You ever, when you go through the gospel, it's like he's like a, a lamb, a sheep before his shears, right? Silent. Are, is this starting to make a lot of sense to you guys? He's silent. Why? And he says, our, and Jesus does answer affirmatively about being the Messiah, but he's not doing a bunch of miracles, let me go. No, he came for this purpose. He said he could send for 12 legions of angels and be set free, amen? But he didn't because he came to die for our sins, amen? And guess what? Herod, these guys didn't know who he was. Most of the Jews didn't know who he was, okay? If, if Pilate knew he was the Messiah, if he knew he was the son of God, that, that he was going to stand before God on judgment day and give an account for the, killing the son of God, do you think Pilate would have done it? Yes or no? Probably not, guys. In fact, that's what this text tells us right here. So the Messianic secret was keeping his Messiahship secret after he'd really made it clear who he was for some time, but then just before the crucifixion, keep it quiet now for a little bit, until when? Until when? The resurrection. And guess what the resurrection was? What's the greatest of all signs that Jesus gave? They says, then I'm going to give them the, the humdinger. Then I'm going to give them the, boom, the powerful. The greatest sign, he said, you know, this is the sign I give to you, the sign of Jonah. Son of man shall be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, and then he'll rise again. Amen? Rise from the dead. So isn't that amazing? And guess what? Jesus rises from the dead. And guess what we read in the book of Acts after that? Acts chapter 6, verse 4. Look what happened to a lot of these priests that rejected him that wanted nothing to do with him, that he spoke to in parables. In Acts chapter 6, now Jesus resurrected. Now Peter and the apostles are preaching the gospel, and we read, the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many, not a few, a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And the, the priests, most of the priests were Sadducees, of the Sadducean persuasion. In other words, they didn't believe in the resurrection of anybody. They didn't believe in spirits, you know? But all of a sudden, all these priests, a lot of Sadducees, he's the Messiah. That's a good explanation point. Thank you, Jesus. He is the Messiah, amen? We gotta get it. It's a powerful point, so praise God. Uh, but are you understanding what's going on here? Now the most powerful sign is for everybody because there's over 500 witnesses. He is risen indeed. Amen. And then they go, they go forth to preach the gospel and the whole world is turned upside down, you know, and so forth. And guess what? Jesus said, 
In Matthew chapter 11, he hid things from the wise, but he's now revealed them to babes. If you're, if you're hard-hearted, if you're proud and arrogant, you think you don't, you, 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 you don't like bad things in other people, but you're okay with your own sin. You thought, I'm not that bad of a guy, or I don't care, I could care less, you know. Well, guess what? You're going to die in your sins. You're going to be separated from God for eternity, man. But you know what Jesus says to you in Matthew 28, after he says he reveals his truth to babes? He invites everybody again. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. Right? My, my, you know, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Amen. It's a beautiful passage. In fact, when I was in the Netherlands, we've been in there four or five times preaching the gospel there and uh, speaking at different places. And, and we worked a couple times with a place, a group called, I think the first or second time, first time with Nar House. Huge, giant, beautiful bus. And they'd park in front of houses that, Nar House means to the house in Dutch. And these were houses where they were doing ecstasy, having raves. They'd be up there all hours and wee hours to the morning. You know, and they come out of those houses stoned and they'd invite them on their bus and they'd give them the gospel. And I loved it, man, because not only were they very evangelical, but on the side of the bus you had Matthew 28, or Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavily laden, I'll give you rest for your souls, amen. But you have to come to him. You have to humble yourself. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. By the way, isn't his word deep? If somebody asked you, hey, what's the messianic secret, what would you say? You'd just say, hey, Toward the end of his ministry, before the cross, he just kept it, he said to keep it down. He started speaking in parables because otherwise the kings of this world went to crucify him and that was part of the plan so he could die for the sins of the world. I just kind of summed it up. Does that make sense? Well, what does it say that? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You'll sound like a Bible scholar. Just remember that, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's right there. If the, if the kings of the rulers of this world had known who, that he, they would not have crucified the king of glory. Amen. We have an awesome God. And this is called the wisdom that was predestined from before the world was, okay? God's had this plan worked out from the very beginning. So then when you come across a scripture like, don't tell anybody, or you, know, or you come across a scripture where it says he spoke in parables, so seeing they would not perceive and hearing they wouldn't hear. Do you understand those verses? How they're not some confusing kind of verses, but they're actually part of a glorious plan whereby Jesus would die for all of us and die for the entire world, that whosoever will could come to him and come to life. And after the resurrection, you had these priests who weren't understanding come to an understanding, even the Sadducees, who Josephus said in his uh, Antiquities of the Jews, rejected and believed the spirit died with the, the body uh, when somebody perished. That's how the, the Sadducees were just total liberal, and, liberal in that area. God wants all of us to be saved. And I just want to encourage you right now, which soil are you? Make sure you're one that's humble, that has ears to hear, and grabs upon the Lord's words and holds to his word now and forevermore. And you'll bear fruit and you'll be with the Lord in his kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Praise God. Can we all rise? Amen. Praise the Lord indeed, sister.